You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we talk about what's happening beneath the surface in music and technology. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And who do I got in the house tonight? Uh, Jay Preboy. Trista New Year Jaeger. What are you doing here? Uh, we're just joining you for this little podcast. Um, I'm going to talk about some South by takeaways because we just got back from South by Southwest. And then we're going to do a news roundup with all the sort of crazy AI label sign-in, album drop-in news from the music business. So you've got some of the rock, paper, scissors posse here. We're a PR firm that focuses on music and technology and music technology. And Jade's our new business manager. Tristra is one of our writer strategists. And we have some huge news. Huge news? We oh, got yeah. yeah. Very big. Big news. Do you want to hear our big news? Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> Music Tectonics is launching the first annual Music Tectonics Conference in Los Angeles, October 28th and 29th of 2019. (laughs) Uh, During the day, we'll be at the Skirball Cultural Center, and we're still working out the 28th, the reception, opening reception. We are so pumped to have our own conference on music and technology in LA. LA is blowing up, as you've heard about, when we've had guests from LA on our podcast, Gigi Johnson and Day Bogan and Vicki Newman have all talked about what's going on in LA with streaming services, opening up offices, and obviously there's some record labels in town as well. Yeah, just a couple. <laughs> the video game industry is blowing up. Obviously, the TV film world is there. Um, amazing startups like AdRev and Pex and uh, so many other things going on in LA. And LA is just, it's just a great place to be now. So hopefully you can join us. Come to musictectonics.com and find out about the conference. If you sign up for our mailing list there, you can get $50 off the conference registration. The first 25 people actually get $100 off. That's a good deal, Dimitri. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, $349 is to register, but those are that's before the discounts. So come and register. Musictectonics.com. We're so excited. Sherry Hu from Billboard, Forbes, and Music Business Worldwide is going to be there. Arabian Prince, the one of the founding members of NWA Straight Outta Compton, is going to be there. Um, moderating our blockchain cage match <laughs> because <laughs> it's gonna get ugly, but it'll all be you know there recorded on the blockchain. <laughs> yeah, that's right, it'll be on the blockchain. So, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be great. We're, Ken Umazaki's gonna be there from Dot Blockchain. Um, we have um, a couple of our other speakers announced on our website, musictectonics.com, and we'll be adding more pretty much every week. So come find out about that, and we're looking forward to seeing you in October. So yeah, 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 yeah. We're pumped, right? Oh, yeah. Super pumped. Speaking of conferences. So speaking of conferences, yeah, we just, um, so we just got back from South by Southwest, and it was an amazing conference. We had an amazing time. We were there with four of our team members. Um, Abby, our new growth manager on the business or on the music side of things. Um, Cheryl, our COO, was there, and uh, Tyler was there as well, who's our one of our publicists. Um, it was it was great. Um, I, had, I had a few takeaways I wanted to share with everybody um, from just different panels I went to and um, different people I talked to. I mean, yeah, obviously, so tell us what 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 was it like? What was the vibe overall? First of all, that was South by. I mean, you've been there before, yeah. taking pictures and doing yeah. media. This time you're there doing business. What was the vibe like for you? It was great. No, I love the vibe there. I mean, Austin is such a cool city. Um, they had all the all the lime and bird scooters there, so everyone was like <laughs> tooling around on those, which made it just even more dangerous and crazy than it already is. Um, 
but it's a great vibe. I mean, you know, you have you have people from the music business, um, the education sector, uh, you know, TV and film, and all types of entertainment and tech. So it was cool. It was a really cool event. Um, yeah, it was great. Really cool. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you made it back in one piece. You were there like ten days. You did interactive and music and everything in between. So <laughs> nine nights, ten days. It was epic. I would suggest you know anyone that hasn't been to South by. Um, it's definitely worth going. It's definitely a super cool conference, and it's pretty unique in the conference space. Um, There's still enough people there for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a few is that years? a joke? No, because a few years. <laughs> there, was a, there, was a, there was a dry spell. It wasn't exactly a dry spell, but a few years ago, people were complaining about how over-commercialized. I was there the year the Frito, I think it was a Frito-Lay vending machine, giant thing. I saw Public Enemy performing underneath this giant vending machine <laughs> installation, and, you know... People were like, oh, it's getting so commercial. You know, McDonald's has an activation. Why would you go to South by? And I was like, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm, I'm here to meet people, network, and so forth. So it never was really a problem for me. Um, this year felt really, really startup, really indie heavy. Um, you know, on the shows, I was going on seeing shows, and I, didn't, I wasn't really familiar with, you know, 95% of people on the list, and that was totally fine with me. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So great. Thanks. Thanks for a little ch- uh, kind of news report from South by your experience there. Um, oh, yeah. So this is our news. One of our news roundup um, episodes. If you haven't heard one of those yet, we basically just pick a handful of articles or, or news headlines that have popped down and just just chat about them. Tristra is always scanning the horizon of what crazy stuff's going on in the music tech scene and has curated a list of several articles. Um, and you found this one from one of our favorite outlets. Music Ally has this great newsletter. We highly recommend subscribing to the Music Ally newsletter. Those guys are awesome. Um, they, they just put together such great stuff. And there was a, a, a post about an AI music startup called Endel. It made a deal with Warner Music. Yeah, that was a quite unexpected turn of events. And um, a lot of people were pretty fascinated by this deal. Um, Endel ha- is, is an app that generates music based on a bunch of different parameters. So it can be geolocation, um, heart rate, uh, weather in your location, kind of creating um, music for the moment. And now it's going to be creating albums that are going to be distributed and promoted by Warner. Um, it also has an Alexa skill because like everyone and you know your uncle and your uncle's best friend all have Alexa skills. Well, so does Endel. Um, so this is a really interesting development, I'd say, because this is the first... Uh, I, I mean, we, can we call it a single algorithm, the first AI system, the first non-human to get a um, major, uh, label, major deal. label deal? <laughs> wow. So um, it's kind of interesting. Like, what does this mean? Uh, what, how are we going to start thinking about music um, from a business angle, music ownership, or and from a human angle, uh, music generation as a creative activity? I mean, a lot of the music that AI makes is for very specific purposes. Um, Endel would be a great example of that. Another one is some of these the other AI music services that create for very specific video uses or other sync uses. Um, so they tend to be kind of uh, let's let's say apl- applied music, which is a, a craft. Maybe it has its moments of art, but um, it's going to be really interesting to see how we digest. All so, this. So I, I don't know how much you know about the details because I, I don't know a ton of the details, but Endel is talking about they generate personalized sounds to help you focus and relax. So I can picture like if I had an app that was responding to mm-hmm. these things and I'm listening to music with my headphones, but then 
then some of those tracks that get generated get pushed out to Warner? Yeah, I imagine that, that that'd be sort of like a, a curated best of kind of compilation like that. I mean, that would that would be, um, you know, pushed out through more traditional distribution channels. And um, because, and I'm sure Warner will have a say because they don't, I mean, like any artist, right? They're not just going to be like, yeah, we'll put out whatever you produce. Well, maybe they do that. I don't know. Um, but I think they, they're going to take a strong curatorial stance and, and put out stuff that really might have some commercial success. So It's interesting, you know, from the music tectonics perspective of what's shifting beneath the surface in terms of technology to think about how, I mean, because the tracks they say, the article says that were released are called Clear Night, Rainy Night, Cloudy Afternoon, Cloudy Night, and Foggy Morning. <laughs> um, I don't know who's, who wants to work to Foggy Morning. I mean, that's like, seems a little counterintuitive to me, but maybe, maybe that maybe, chills some maybe people out. Maybe if you're a novelist, you might want right. to write to Foggy Scary Morning. Scary Storm Terror Night. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you want to write to, Trisha? I don't know. It could, be, it could work. <laughs> but I guess what I'm getting at is those things sound almost playlisty in a way. Oh, you know, yeah. They're like mood creation, and they're like, well, let's just skip the whole, let's write a song, let's have a curator try to figure out what of these millions of songs should go into this one mood mm-hmm. and create a playlist and then let's push it out. Instead, they're skipping the whole... <laughs> well, it's like um, uh, an artist that we've talked a lot about in the past, um, Lance Allen, right? So there's some folks that have already figured this out as a business model for themselves. I mean, they're, they're humans, so their creativity and productivity probably works a little bit differently than an AI app, but... Um, it's, this is something that's already been done by humans, so maybe Endel is kind of taking a, tearing a, a page from the playbook of those successful playlist hackers and um, doing something kind of similar. I mean, the relaxation and concentration, you know, playlists are, are massive on streaming services, so it's a it's a very in demand um, kind of music. Jade, you're an artist. How do you feel about AI composition or AI's making? Music and going directly to labels. You know, I'm super. I'm super pro AI. Um, I think that it's, it can seem scary in the moment, um, and there's maybe some feelings that it's going to replace people. Um, you know, but I think that it, honestly, it's probably going to push people into more creative jobs um, because they can use these tools more more effectively. And uh, I think it will actually, as far as um, AI composition, I think it will open the door. For more people to dabble in music, and you know, a lot of people want to, or they have a song in their head, but they don't know how to how to get from A to B. Right. Um, right. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I have positive feelings. Cool. Right. And you know, the other part of this story, which we can get into in some of the other stories as well, um, is kind of the rights. Um, who who owns who owns the music, and if there's apps. So, for example, if I use Endel, for example, um, uh, it's it's listening to my heartbeat and it's checking the the uh, the weather where I am, the location where I am, and then it's making personal music for me, and then it pushes that music out to the streaming services. I, do I get a, a split on that? Maybe it's an eighteen percent. I think but, you I know. don't. I think I probably don't get a split. But then there's other apps that are music composition assistants, basically, and um, you know that whole conversation is just starting to unfold. Yes, and that that'll be an interesting one. Uh, a seismic shift we have to keep an eye Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And you know how publishing will respond to this, how um, different arrangements will be made. I'm sure that there will be different models and that, some, that AI services will have um, that make, could even be part of their value proposition is that we don't take a cut of your songs. Um, just like there's distribution models that are quote unquote free. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I'm sure it'll be a, a varied landscape for quite some time. The good news is it seems like 
the market is sending some indications that there's still more growth opportunities in music because we just saw a TechCrunch announced, Josh Constein at TechCrunch, music's next big startup splice raises $57.5 million to sell samples. That's, that's a, awesome. <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of samples. A lot of samples. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, it's interesting to think about the fact that there's that much potential for another tool that's used for creating music. And uh, was there anything else that stood out for you when you saw that, uh, Trish, other than just like a benchmark for this, this side of the business? Well, I think there's a growing attention being, uh, being, you know, growing attention on derivative works, on these sort of uh, neglected stepchildren um, that have really been essential to a lot of music scenes like hip hop and club music. Um, that are just now really going mainstream in terms of licensing and business models. So when we look at things like sampling, it's um, you know it, it's kind of shocking how long it took. I mean, the De La Soul um, complicated, uh, painful beef um, that sort of played out uh, over you know socials and, and in the media slightly for the past couple of weeks just demonstrates just this is this is stuff that's been. Uh, sitting around like problems that haven't been solved for decades. It's kind of interesting that they're just getting solved now. Kind of makes you wonder, like you know, maybe in ten years we'll be able to look back and look at some important um, turning points. But um, there's a bunch of startups that are really, really, really uh, determined to solve remix problems, um, sampling both of existing audio recordings and in the sort of marketplace model that Splice uses. Um, so it's it's really awesome, and that means that we won't have any more. You know, painful lost music or nasty, um, hopefully nasty disputes about things like sample clearance. Um, and artists will just be able to make their thing, not pay an arm and a leg, and not have their music locked up in, you know, in forever in limbo because they can't get permission from the rights holders or can't even find the rights holders. Exactly. Another seismic shift that I think this points to is related to just the vast access of music creation and the idea that. More people are listening to music through more different mediums uh, by created by many, many more artists. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, things like Splice are empowering people to create music um, because now they don't have to track down licenses or get sued for millions of dollars of using mm-hmm. samples in advance. Um, so Splice, just as the, biz- the business model, for those who don't know, and this is from Josh Constein's article, Splice charges $7.99 per month for unlimited access to its array of 3 million synthesizers, drum hits, vocal flares, and other sounds. Despite being designed for serious musicians, Splice's suite of tools now has 2.5 million users, up from 1.5 million a year ago. And the... Um, the tool has now paid out $15 million to artists since 2013, doubling in the last year. So That's I guess exciting. it's always good to raise money when you're doubling. Your yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're great. They've been around for a while. I've been, I've been using Splice um, for a few years now with my friends. And we, we use it to collaborate and share files and find new stems. Um, as, an, as an artist, I can also push stems there. So if I have a, really, if I have a, a beat and I, I love the drums, but I, I can't find a good melody to it, I can easily get it out there, and, and someone else can use it, and we can kind of collaborate in that way. So it's, I think it's really cool. Um, they're also, you know, pushing this cloud integration, which I think is kind of what we're in the uh, in the midst of seeing. Um, you know, kind of the traditional model of finding samples is maybe you're digging through YouTube, or you're actually pulling from vinyl, and you're sampling, you're pulling that into your computer, and then you're putting that into your DAW. I think what these guys are going for is, oh, I want to search for samples right in the DAW, or I'm using Native Instruments Machine, and I want to pull some samples in. Oh, I'm hooked up. I have my 
my hardware hooked up to the cloud now and I'm accessing this stuff from Splice. I can use it all within that same interface. And I think that's a big change. That's cool. Yeah. So what else we have? Spotify's strategic offensive hits. Three fronts from uh, Don Riss and Ed Chrisman at Billboard. What the heck is going on, Trish? <laughs> well, um, Spotify is, I mean, I, I wrote a little bit about this last week. Spotify's really uh, changed its uh, its tone um, in the way it relates to other players in the music business. So, I, uh, you know, for years, it was a very much a an easygoing kind of friendly face that it, at least in its external communications, I mean, backroom stuff, who knows? Um, that said, uh, Spotify's really, I think, under the gun. Um, now that it's public, it's really feeling a lot of pressure to achieve profitability. I mean, that's a understandable mm-hmm. from a business point of view. And so they're, they've taken some of the gloves off. I think they feel like they're in a good enough position. You know, they're really focused on growth for many years, really focused on expanding, really focused on keeping everybody more or less kind of half happy, as you know, which is probably about the best you're going to get in the music business. But now they're really, really fighting to uh, become a viable company. Um, and so they've got three fronts that they've opened up. They've got a uh, a little tiff with um, Warner in India. Um, they have a really interesting antitrust um, complaint that they've opened up in the EU against Apple because of the so-called app tax. That's the money that Apple takes off from um, apps that via the App Store. And uh, last but not least, they're kind of upset about the copyright royalty board's decision to raise rates for songwriters. So, which makes sense. I mean, that really cuts into their bottom line, and that's always been one of the toughest uh, kind of light I- line items for them to move. Right, all the licensing costs that they have. So, this is a huge burden. Um, for them, from, I mean, again, I'm speaking from Spotify's perspective, um, but from a songwriter perspective, songwriters have, you know, for the past decade at least, have been complaining about the new digital world and how they feel like they're getting stiffed for what is vital work in the industry. Um, and you know, some class actions have really proven that they their claims have some validity. And now, um, you know, if you look at some of the comments from um, some of the publishing bodies, um, like the the always witty um, and very very scrappy David Israelite, um, he's got a, a lot of things to say about this Spotify claim that these rate raises are unfair, um, and is really fighting on behalf of songwriters. So it's kind of cool to see an artist or a, a songwriter representing body coming out with such. Uh, firm and um, sometimes biting statements. Um, and to me, well, the, the, it's kind of like a fun tennis match to watch Apple and Spotify face off. It's really um, much more interesting to think about what what sort of the the this artists and and songwriters and publishers and rights holders speaking out um, and, and how that promises to hopefully create a, a much healthier, Ecosystem for the whole music industry. As, as little, I know Spotify isn't into it, and I understand, but we got to have people making stuff, <laughs> you know. And, and that's the bottom line. And it's wild to see this played out in such a public way yeah. now. I mean, this this is the kind of stuff that were, was frequently um, kind of a backdoor conversation. You'd hear some, you'd hear some grumblings within the industry, within forums, online, uh, at conferences, even in the trades. But this is looking like a much more public conversation. And uh, maybe as a result of being such a public conversation, we'll reach the right happy medium. 
I don't. I don't really know. I mean, it's yeah. Bringing it's tough the on debate both sides. out of the shadows is 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 usually a great way to have it come to a more um, balanced conclusion. And and just as a side note, like Apple making these kind of public statements, and I mean, almost bordering on the edge of like snarky. <laughs> like, wow, this is a real departure from their past. You mean PR? You mean Apple making those statements? Yeah, like this is the company that never puts out press releases, right? Or that was sort of their reputation um, until recently, and now they're really coming out swinging and announcing all sorts of news left and right. It's not just sort of like you know we invite you to this magical um, hardware unveiling, and then you hear some dribs and drabs about all this other stuff we're doing. It's like it's really interesting to see their switch in uh, communication strategy, and this is that sort of part of this why this debate has caught fire and caught people's imagination. Well, it's interesting. Apple's, I mean, also fighting on two fronts, interestingly, and they and they may be a little more of an uh, offense, offense or than defense in the sense that they're now the ones of these companies that are most advocating around the issues of privacy, mm-hmm. which is beyond just music, but just kind of as a platform and as a, as a network, a, a walled garden, or, you know, all those things. Um, on the one hand, and um, and on the other hand, uh, they are the only major music streaming service that did not appeal the CRB's um, efforts. Yes, which is an interesting decision, and and I really think they're trying to position themselves as the artist friendly uh, uh, streaming service. So. Yeah, but those combined, the the privacy advocate mm-hmm. and the art artist friendly is kind of an interesting when you put them together like that. It's that kind of a powerful. It's a powerful statement, of course. And Spotify's oh, still losing money, right? And oh, Apple's yeah. still making. Money, well, so. and they're switch, but though I think Apple's feeling much more backed into a corner on the hardware front um, because of and the, the ecosystem and the app yeah, ecosystem. Exactly. Front. Although I don't know, I mean I, that that battle hasn't been. Uh, it's uh, not decided over. yet, really. They've just and they're really um, investing heavily in everything from. Um, News to uh, streaming video and original content, so they're really s- starting to switch gears to a v- being very service oriented and not so locked into hardware as their main um, profit driver. I think so. It's really it's an interesting moment. So speaking of profit and large platforms, uh, Tencent had some news this week, <laughs> <laughs> um, including I think it was. Uh, I mean, the article we pulled is um, from the South China Morning Post about Tencent said to fire or demote around 10% of middle managers amid company-wide revamp. But there were also some um, uh, some financial news that, that impacted that and probably led to that. Yeah, there was some disappointing financial stuff, though. It's more along the lines of we didn't grow as awesomely as we hoped. Um, and so... And the interesting thing is the the growth is de- I mean definitely not evenly distributed between Tencent's various uh, verticals. So they have um, a lot of big social business that is just a, like a really a huge huge thing in um, especially in China like WeChat and it's a not just a chat it's like does all sorts of other crazy it's your, things. It's your wallet and everything. It does everything basically? It's your like best friend. Yeah. Um, and. You know, but their music properties have not been faring as well, and so this is probably why they have been so keen to reorganize. I'm not sure. You know, also there may you know there may be some other company and 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 cultural things involved. But it is it, what I took away from this was it's kind of amazing that that big a player can um, face such tough business decisions, and you know even someone like Tencent is having to kind of. 
scale back or rebalance or constantly react to um, market forces and changes in users' interests and all those things. So it's it's crazy how even the biggest companies now are having to like turn on a dime in certain ways. So. Mm. Well, something that nobody probably missed that was reading about the music industry, unless you just came back from South by and were like totally without news or spring break or something, uh, the way Pitchfork put it was history disappeared when MySpace lost 12 years of music and it will happen again, (laughs) 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 which (laughs) I don't know. The the funny thing was I saw a lot of news about this. I did not see anybody saying, I lost my music, or I lost my fans, or I lost anything. But I think it still points out, and I believe Flickr is currently downgrading free or low-paid users or changing their... I don't know what, what's going on with Flickr. like taking all down their just, photos offline, yeah, right. off their cloud, I so, think. So the point is, you invest, whether it's your time or your career, in these platforms, and then... Overnight, something could happen. They could change their business model like Flickr, or they could have what appears to be a mistake. (laughs) It was a server migration error, which to me is just bizarre. That's clearly the explanation they're providing publicly, though I'm sure the actual explanation is way more strange, way stranger. Um, Yeah, and and all the hand-wringing about losing losing all these files is kind of interesting. I mean, it shows... Uh, I think it's more of a, a, a an interesting psychological moment in that you know p- human beings have always lost data. We're losing mm-hmm. data all the time, and it's you mean not, as we get older, we forget things. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> also like yeah, historic. We didn't even have a record of music until it was you know until notation comes along, right? So we've lost so much music, you know. I'm, and, and I'm really not going to get that bent out of shape about twelve years of files that are probably also living somewhere else. Like almost everything from MySpace that I remember liking. I could find on Spotify now um, or elsewhere, YouTube. Yeah. Well, so. well, I don't know. I mean, I will say I've had CDs from the old days that I loved that have n- still never made it on the Spotify. That is true. That is true. It's and, on. They're on YouTube, though. They're much more likely to be on YouTube if they're international. It's yeah. just, uh, but if they're esoteric, if they're yeah. smaller, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe it doesn't matter from a large market perspective if they're esoteric. But I think the issue, I don't think people were so upset that... There was music loss in this case. I think it was more about, hey, guys, don't forget. Yeah. These things can disappear overnight. Yeah. And I, I think that this is kind of maybe foreshadowing of kind of what's happening overall or what could happen overall in the industry where we're all trusting these platforms. I mean, companies are companies in over the past five years have done amazing um, building brands on Instagram, right? But who owns those relationships ultimately? I mean, who, who can turn off your Instagram? Instagram can. What if Instagram lost as much data as as MySpace just lost. Would would people still feel like they could build a brand on there and it would be worth it? Yeah, yeah that's I mean, a good that, point. I mean that's that I think that's to me that's where the news is. It's it's dependence on platforms. And and the other thing, Trister, I'll say about your music composition from the old days and how much has been lost before there was even archiving technology and so forth, is the way as a culture and as a society, the way we're shifting towards like smartphones and taking photos, your family photos and recording everything that happens in your life and so forth, you upload it or it automatically gets uploaded to a cloud. You push it to Instagram, you push it to wherever you distribute it to Spotify, whatever you sort of get used to that flow and count on it. And it's, it, 
it, it may not be there. And like your yeah. point, your it's a psychological I guess the metaphor, disruption, right? And the metaphor on the on the uh, on the more um, analog stuff would be, yeah. Well, people had photos in shoe boxes, and then their house burned down. Yeah, it, it, the. I think we need to. Um, I think humans need to think a little bit more historically when talking about some of these tech things. It's it's it is uh, most human data has been lost, mm. and um, I, I, our colleague Eleanor made the great point, and she's a classicist by training, has a PhD, right? So she she made the good point that it's more about changing formats, and that's when you have a lot of data lost. So when you move from scrolls to bound books. Um, you're much more likely to lose a whole bunch of stuff at, rather than just thinking about, say, the the um, library at Alexandria. So when that burned down, there was a there's an incredible number of works we know existed that were supposedly lost when that library was lost. However, changing format is an essential thing. So if we're changing formats all the time now, that might be something to keep in mind. And maybe we need to come up with like some sort of codex that's like a, a digital. Um, you know, a master language that everything can be encoded into and therefore preserved, you know, or stuff of great importance to society or something like that. On the blockchain, though, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> blockchain it all. <laughs> yes. Well, that's kind of interesting that this is, I, that I would just like to say that, um, you know, in this conversation, I think it fits to talk about how everything at one point was localized on your art devices. And now we've kind of, in this, in the midst of everything pushing out to the cloud. Um, and then kind of, you know, some of the things I've heard about in the blockchain space is that we're going to, they want to try to pull everything and relocalize everything. Yeah. It's AI too, just so that you don't have, um, just the lag time. So you have a lot more, um, personalization and responsiveness. They're putting, trying to put more and more AI in device. So yeah. Craziness. (laughs) So earlier on the show, we talked about, uh, AI releasing records, but they're not the only ones. (laughs) Um, what is this? Ratty China? Is that what it's called? R-A-D-I-I China. I am not sure. Trister, I don't know where you find this stuff. TikTok <laughs> drops an album, vows to, quote, help musicians be heard, end quote, with the release of its first music compilation. Is short video platform TikTok setting its sights on China's music industry? By Fan Xu Hong. Um, that's, so TikTok put out an album? Is that the story? Yeah, they... Um dropped an album. It's a compilation album, uh, sort of a, I guess it's a TikTok mixtape. So TikTok is a really popular platform for music, um, not just karaoke and other kinds of mashup kind of, but also original music. And I think they're kind of coming into their own and acknowledging that and let's make the most of this and set ourselves up. I mean, in some ways that's what people were talking about, music, music, musical dot L-I, musically. Uh, whatever they musically, musically. which TikTok bought, yes, yeah, and is now rebranded as TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that there, that that was going to be a huge platform for music discovery, distribution, fan base building, all that stuff. And I think TikTok's just kind of using this album as like a little calling card, saying like, "Yeah, we're we're here, we're, we're for real, we're not a joke." Ironically, I would say that TikTok is the new MySpace. <laughs> now let me tell you why. So back back it up, guys. <laughs> back, back up those. Uh, <laughs> Those karaoke songs and and uh, <laughs> those skits and those dancing up the steps videos or whatever the heck it is you're doing. Um, no, the point is, you know, I, I I've looked at it. It's um, <laughs> I'm not a regular user. Um, I think it's I mean it's funny and and you know when you when you kind of study it, you, you always hear people talk about the cringeworthiness of a lot of the stuff that's there. That's sort of half of it is like 
authentically awful of it is cringeworthy on purpose or something like that. I think I think the you know, some of the good TikTok content I've seen is pretty stellar. What people are doing, I mean, I I'm just kind of I'm just uh, what is it called lurking on uh, TikTok right now, yeah. which is uh, no, I don't know. I, I, I want to start put, making some content on there. I just haven't figured out how to how to do it yet. But some of the videos I've seen. I think seen, you press the button. <laughs> I just need to press the button. I know. <laughs> Oh wow! It's kind of like when I first started using Snapchat. I'm like, what is going on yeah. on this? And then, I, well, the user interfaces it, each time are. I mean, you do kind of have to figure them out. Yeah, it's that's kind of the, that and that little learning curve right there can make the difference between people who are like the early adopters and you know gain all that initial traction at a very cheap price comparatively. Because all these companies, you you know, once they get the users and once you, you build the traction on the thing, all the rates go up for everything. It's kind of what happening happening with Instagram right now. I guess what I'm getting at is MySpace always felt super janky. It was janky. That's true. I yeah. mean, you know, it's just when it went, and it's heyday, it was janky. I honestly don't know what it looks like now. I haven't even looked at it. Um, but, uh, you know, you think about Craigslist, janky. eBay, when it came out, janky. TikTok, it's pretty janky. I mean, it's not, I, I mean, the, you know, the content, it's like you don't know what you're going to get served. And, you know, I think we came across an article not too long ago that talked a little bit about how their algorithms purposely push newer stuff to you mm-hmm. to help people get a sense that they are going to get an audience uh, of people they don't know, as opposed to Twitter, where only your followers see stuff. TikTok's going to actually push stuff out. So you have this sense of discovery that's very different than a social media network or the rest of the social media network. It kind of reminds me of Uber, the way they tend to ping new drivers more to get mm. them kind of really hooked. Mm. And then they kind then then the work falls off and that's Change a big their complaint. Expectation. A lot of drivers have. Of, yeah, that's I think that's exactly I think that parallels exactly sort of what I'm getting at. But um but but I think the other thing that this that the tectonic shift, the seismic shift here is that music is coming from unexpected places now. Yeah. Um, rising from the bottom up in this case or in many cases. Um, but, you know, you might be a Spotify listener. You might be a YouTube person. You might be a Twitch user that's either discovering or seeing, watch music sh- streaming there or discovering music through video games as well or this very different type of experience with a whole younger user and creator set. Um, so many different places now to, to find music. And- even established artists to get to the next one. Um, yeah. uh, we we have this really interesting case that the Calm app, which is a relaxation app, ah, Take they, a deep that breath. they um, teamed uh. up with Moby to do an exclusive uh. drop of his new album, um, Long Ambience Two. Man, he looks real relaxed in this picture. Yeah, he's Dang. he's like totally blissed out. That guy. This is um, from Calm.com's blog. So. <laughs> yes, and this is it was for World Sleep Day. Um, anyway, so didn't know about that day. I know. Gonna, gonna tune in. Though. You were asleep that day, man. That was <laughs> at the soundbar. <laughs> so, so the interesting thing here is that artists are really looking. They're really looking for every possible avenue that fits their. Um, maybe not their minimum vi- viable audience, but their most likely audience for a particular project or um, you know, to build their fan base further. And they don't really care if it's a traditional distribution channel. It could be an app that helps you chill out. It could be something else completely different. Um, it could be a karaoke app. It could be Lord knows what. Um, so it's really cool. It's just basically the, it's free for all. Um, and you know that, that has its exciting moments and also... 
it's kind of bizarre kind of what is going on feeling to it. So you can discover music on TikTok or on the Calm app, <laughs> right? Or who yeah. knows what's next. I mean, in your car, there's a lot of in-auto in stuff coming online. I mean, it's going to be very a very interesting world where discovery is going to happen where you least expect it. <laughs> you know, but the cool thing is that means more people are engaging with music in more different ways. It's, you know, it's, I mean, for those of us who've been in the music industry for a while, it's a cool thing because I, I think for fans, it's a cool thing too. Of course, you know, I yeah. Think, I think there, there is a group of music fans who are not quite sure where to go for music. Like they never made the leap either from physical to digital or from downloads to streams. Um, and so like, you know, the 60 year old, 70 year old plus crowd that may have listened to a lot of music 10, 20, 30 years ago is not sure where to listen to music, but everyone else is finding it exactly where they are in a car, on a video game, in their meditation app, on their social media and so forth. So exciting times. These are the types of things that we're going to talk about at the Music Tectonics Conference. Woo-hoo! And it's Whoa. not just going to be talking heads, not the band, but the, the phenomenon at conferences where you have panels with blah, blah, blahers. Uh, there'll, there'll be some good blowing, gonna, of course. But <laughs> We're going to mix it up. The Skirball <laughs> Cultural Center, where the event is, is beautiful. It's, uh, we've got free parking for those of you local to L.A., and it's one of these gorgeous indoor-outdoor architectural gems in L.A. that um, you just got to come see, and we'll have lots of networking opportunities. We'll get to schmooze with our panelists and our exhibitors, and um, these are the types of shifts that we, we talk about, that we're going to be talking about there. We're going to be exposing um, uh, those conversations to all the folks that are really interested in both music and technology. We'll have record labels there. We'll have startups there. We'll have streaming services and other platforms and so forth. It's going to be a blast. So check out musictectonics.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Not only will you find out more about the podcast, you'll also find out uh, about the conference and you get a discount code for the conference. The first 25 people to register will get $50 off the $349 registration. And after that, sorry, the first 25 people will get $100 off. And then everybody else that sign up for our newsletter right now can get $50 off as well. Dang. (laughs) Dang. This calls for a beat. Can I get a beat? <laughs> yes, we did it. <laughs> you can imagine what this is like in an open office. <laughs> Sorry, Trisha. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll be back with you soon. And uh, please spread the word. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star, six-star, ten-star rating on your favorite podcast service. And we'll be back with you soon. Musictectonics.com, rock, paper, scissors, dot, biz. Thanks, Trisha. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Trisha. Thanks, Trisha. Listening to Music Tectonics.